I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. No, it's, it's, and especially in this league too. And, um, Special shout out to Boston College last night for uh, missing their first 18 three-pointers. That is, that's more in line with the team that I saw um, in Durham on New Year's Eve, which I was grumpy about like covering a game on New Year's Eve anyway. And I was grumpier with how terrible Boston College looked in that, in that game. Oh, I was, I was fortunate. My editors were like, Hey, it's New Year's Eve. We're not really going to be working. If you don't want to work either, it's okay. (laughs) So, um, <laughs> shout out, shout out to the athletic for, for New Year's Eve. First, off. they put you up at like, where they put you up in Vegas, like the Cosmopolitan. And then they give you yes. New Year's Eve off. Listen. The cos the Cosmopolitan was athletic breeding grounds in Vegas. We had all of our writers there. So, um, yeah, it was, we had a little, a little crew going on out there. It was wild out there. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that UCLA game was, ugh. anyways. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I am Lauren Brownlow, and um, I was informed not that long ago, too, by my friend uh, Nada, who does this podcast for me, and I'm sure he'll cut this out, but whatever, um, that I haven't talked enough Duke. And to be fair, like Duke is the good child or had been the good child in, in a like wild and crazy topsy-turvy ACC. So like to me, there wasn't quite as much drama to, to, to discuss there and break down. But um, I'm going to be warned by or I'm going to be joined by Brendan Marks today from The Athletic, who is... Uh, who came on the beat? His first game, by the way, was uh, Stephen F. Austin, as I've reminded him. <laughs> as everyone reminds me. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to you, though, like Duke did pretty well after that for a while. So it's not as if like you're the cursed beat writer. And then Carolina took a bit of a downturn after that um, as well. So everyone was sort of joking that Brendan was uh, was the was the curse there, but that's not. That's obviously not really the case. Look what happened to, you know, look what happened with the Panthers after he left that beat. Right, great great so. things are going on over there. So <laughs> couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. <laughs> I mean, are they great? Like they're just, it's, it's a lot of change, you know? Um, I don't, this is not a Panthers podcast, but as y'all know, from time to time, I will whine on this podcast about various things with the Panthers that upset me or whatever. But um I did think it's worth mentioning because there is at least a tangential ACC connection and the ACC connections will actually kind of get into Panther stuff because one of them was that they hired Baylor's Matt Rule and that has caused Baylor to be interested in Virginia Tech's Justin Fuente. And I have become like super fascinated with this story um, for a variety of reasons, right? Like 
Justin Fuente, his relationship with Virginia Tech fans is very interesting to me, and it always has been. And I feel like it's always been a little lukewarm. And look, when you follow Frank Beamer, it's tough. You know, it it really it's going to be tough. It's impossible. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was always going to be tough. And but I don't know. And and I I actually like understand some of the critiques that Virginia Tech fans have had or, or some issues that they've had. And at a time when the relationship is at its most lukewarm, um, it, it had sort of started looking up a little bit to me, though, like he's made some staff changes. Virginia Tech fans were feeling kind of good about those, as good as you can feel about like replacing Bud Foster. Right. But I think they felt like he was adding some good pieces in, on staff. They felt OK about the recruits. They have a lot of the guys coming back. And then Justin Fuente, evidently, um, well, he's decided, I guess, to meet with Baylor and I, <laughs> it's it's, it's um, just so weird, you know, like, because finally, at last, you know, when he was hired, even like, there, there's never been excitement about him. And as soon as he got that, he was like, wait, let me do something that could potentially jeopardize this. Yes, that's the thing. And like, that's what's fascinating to me. And I was, you know, I follow a lot of Virginia Tech people, both like fans and media. And one Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech fan pointed out, look, I mean, this is a guy that stopped recruiting a kid because after he committed to Virginia Tech, he talked to another school. And now he's going to do this. Like, you can't do that and do this. Like, that's not that's not consistent. And that's not an unfair critique either. Um, but it's like, I don't understand how you bounce back back from this you know like how do you how do you like get goodwill back with that fan base you were telling me a story before we started i want i want you to tell that story yeah it's and this was like new year's this was like late december right when you played virginia middle of december probably yeah yeah yeah, i think you're so this is like around the time where you know i would say goodwill was rising you know you know they're going to a bowl you know guys are going to be coming back you know coaching changes are on the way like they had just lost to Virginia, That's true. to be fair. That's true. But. but so uh, Duke plays at Virginia Tech, and uh, Fuente is in the crowd, and they put him up on the jumbotron, you know, as is normal when coaches are at games. And the the stadium was like the arena was pretty full, and there was almost no cheering. And I like looked over at Steve Wiseman, who who covers Duke for the for the News and Observer, and was like, ooh. Not great. <laughs> and, and I mean, but that is just sort of the vibe around him. And it always has. Like, I think at this point, especially after all the Baylor stuff, like how do you get goodwill back? You have to do something absurd on the football field. You'd have to win like, t- like this 10 games. Does like an ACC, you know, title game. Does like being in that conversation, does that get you back in goodwill? Like, I don't even know if that does. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, it, it's weird to me because, yeah, like you were saying, it's hard to imagine him coming back from this and, and getting goodwill. But I don't know if you saw this. Evidently, the buyout um, for Fuente is such that like Virginia Tech would still have to pay him. I think it's like $12 million or something like that. It's a lot. It's like cost prohibitive, right? right? And and but but like for Fuente to walk and take another job, another school would only have to pay, pay Virginia Tech like $1 million. Oh, well, that changes. And that. it's like... Right. And it's also like what that gets to a larger point about like, what are these coaches doing? Like, or what are these athletic directors doing? I I'm, I maintain that like these contracts for coaches that they're giving out are completely untenable. Oh, no, uh, co- they're absurd. <laughs> and it's basketball and football, by the way. I mean, it gets to the point where it's so cost prohibitive to buy somebody out. But for it to be that easy for somebody to buy your coach out, 
I don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, is that is that a sign from Virginia Tech that like maybe they're not like all the way in too? Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, you obviously like are going to support the guy, but at the same time, like if you're making it easy for him to leave, it's like, well, maybe it wouldn't be the the worst thing in the world. Like, I can understand how to like. Let's say that you're one of the like higher ups at Virginia Tech, and you're bringing this guy in, and you know who he's replacing, and you know how like bright the spotlight is going to be on anybody that comes in there. Maybe you sort of give yourself like a rip cord and like, maybe that's the rip cord just in case, like even if he's good, but just in case he's not. But, but you would think that the rip cord would be on your end too. Yes. Like that's, what's confusing. Like you gave yourself no rip cord, but you gave him one. And, and like, also if you're Fuente, what's fascinating to me too, is the fact that like, do you sense this, this, this energy with Virginia Tech fans and say, I got to get out while I can, as opposed to like waiting around to be fired. Yeah. I, um, I love the picture they released that they put out on Twitter. And it's like, let's go. And no one is smiling. There's like two smiles and everyone else is like, why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, that's definitely worth keeping an eye on. And that's a, that's sort of um, a domino that was caused to fall by the Panthers. And I, it's interesting. I, th- I, I thought Virginia Tech, fans were you know frank beamer was brought up because at one point and i don't know if you know this because you're a little younger but you probably at least know that this happened that frank beamer um was basically i mean he had a handshake deal to be north carolina's head coach back in the day right and (laughs) yeah i mean but like at that point he'd already basically built the virginia tech program and had built up a lot of goodwill so there was no like you know, it wasn't quite the same situation, whereas Fuente was still already, already like losing the PR war with Virginia, like to win over Virginia Tech fans. And now he does this. And it's like, oof. And I mean, he just built this staff like they just had signing day. Like you're screwing over not just, you know, your kids, but you're screwing over your coaches, too. And look, he's got to do right by himself. I understand that. But like this would just oof, it's, this would not be. It's not good. And the, just the one last thing about this is like he he's not leaving a bad place. Like he's got like, not only is Virginia tech, like a good place to be, but like what they've got going on right now there with who's coming back and the coaches they've brought in, like that's all encouraging. Like if you were going to bail, like theoretically that would have been like a month and a half ago. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess like you can't predict when, you know, the Panthers hiring rule and, and then like, them showing interest in Fuente, but still, like that's it's it's I it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that because um, boy would that put that would not only put Virginia Tech in a bad spot, but like not to look too far forward, but it would also I think if you liked North Carolina as a potential like coastal favorite, you really will like them now because this is going to kind of throw Virginia Tech into tumult and probably get a lot of guys in the transfer portal and all that. So yeah, definitely worth watching. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and. You know, speaking of people that leave, um, Luke Keekley, former Boston College, ACC legend Luke Keekley. And like I say ACC legend in this case, not facetiously because he did actually fall out. He did actually play in the ACC yeah. um, as opposed to like when we talk about like great player, like, you know, Jim Brown, ACC legend. legend. Yeah. Not really. Are you are <laughs> yeah. you are you OK with this Luke Keekley news? How are you processing oh, it? I mean, I I was I was not entirely stunned when I saw it. I mean, I, I had never, I hadn't been hearing that. I don't know if that was something you were, had ever been hearing or anything 
in your time when you were covering the team, like that this was something he was considering. And for those who don't know, Brendan came over uh, from covering the Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. So he's someone that as a Panthers fan, I like continuously picked his brain. And I do have to give you props, by the way, because like it was a long time ago now, maybe like late November, early December, where you told me at a Duke game that if they got rid of Ron, I don't even think they'd fired Ron yet. Um, but if they did, they were going to go after, or this might have been right after they fired him, that they were he was going to go after Josh McDaniels, and that was definitely a candidate that they went after. Because I was like, no way. Yeah, I mean, and- before before I left, McDaniels was the guy that I kept hearing. They were like, we love McDaniels and everything. And then I guess you know, I, I still think he was in the conversation. Like he was the guy was about to get on a oh, plane yeah. and to fly down there. <laughs> um, and then I guess they just sort of fell in love with Rule, which if you have heard him, I mean, he's like taking you to church every time he speaks. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, I had never, I hadn't heard that Luke was contemplating any of this, but he's always been sort of coy about the future. Um, you know, even just as they were losing and you're saying, you know, what's sort of next it's, you know, I'll take it day by day. And obviously, you know, you sort of give that more meaning in hindsight, but at the time, I mean, I think this is something that probably later in the season, you saw the frustration continuing to build. We obviously don't know, what percentage of his choice is health-based, what percentage of it is, uh, you know, he feels like he can't play the game the same way, but, you know. Or maybe if those are even connected, you know. I would imagine there's, like, there is probably yeah, something. So Probably. But he was never like, he was never a guy that was like, man, in five years, we're going to be back. You know, that was never him. So like you, I wasn't entirely stunned. Well, I, I just, you know, I mean, when you think about Keekley, he's obviously had a bunch of concussions or at least that we know of. And the one, I guess, shock for me was that he hadn't had one in the last few years, at least that we know about. Um, I don't think, right? It's been two years that he's been right, he's without a concussion. He's been totally healthy yeah. the last two years. At least that we know of. And maybe other things cropped up. I don't know. But at the same time, I do still remember the concussion that he got where he was, you know, crying and disoriented and didn't remember, like didn't know, seem to know where he was or what was going on. And that was one of the scarier moments um, that I've ever seen, like on a football field with Cam Newton being headhunted and Denver being probably a close second. Um, yeah, I mean, but <laughs> I mean, that, and that, that's the other thing, like there were he, he, if there again, if there was a time like this just doesn't seem to be it. I really think that the losing and losing Ron and knowing where the team was going, I think that that probably played a part too, because you can look and even with him, this is a team that is far, far away from being a viable year in year out playoff contender. And I don't know. I was, I don't know if, yeah, he, wants, for sure. I don't know if he wants to subject himself to that. I don't blame him. I, w- I Yeah. I mean, he was basically having to be defensive coordinator on the field um, this year. You could kind of see that like, as he's like telling everyone where they're supposed to be all while trying to do his own job. And, you could see the frustration. And then also, you know, I think a, a lot of, uh, I was surprised, I think only in the sense because he just strikes me as like the consummate football bro guy and th- not in a bad way. Just like he said, like he doesn't have cable and stuff like that. And I, I guess I had to sort of wonder, I, I didn't think he'd be a guy to sort of take stock of his own health in that way and be like, I can't play anymore. I'm glad that he did like for him as a human, but you see more and more guys, I think understanding, you know, Hey, I have a limited, you know, shelf life in this league. And and if I overstay it and beat my body up too much, I'm not going to be able to be, you know, the same person as an adult and, and not live a happy life, I guess, after football. So, right. I, yeah. One of the smartest things that I think I saw about this was, you know, everyone was talking about, is this a, a trend we're going to see now with 
players retiring early to protect their health interests. There's a difference between, you know, a nobody fourth round pick who plays for a year or two retiring versus somebody like Luke who has made 50 some odd million dollars and now has generational wealth for him and his family. Like he, he got what he needed to get out of football in terms of like personal accolades, personal success, but also in terms of like financial stability going forward. Like what else could you ask for the guy? Like he's done, he's done everything that he could personally. The team got to the pinnacle of the mountain, fell off and he made bank. Like, great job, Luke. Like, go enjoy the rest of your life. He deserves that. I think, like, people are generally happy for him. I know I am. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. All right. Well, that's enough, uh, like, football talk, I guess, because <laughs> we're in basketball season, at least in name only. Um, Always. <laughs> and we'll, 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 get to, uh, we'll get to some of the hoops that are going on. And I'm, like, OCD about this weirdly, so I like to go in, like, somewhat chronological order. And uh, there's a lot of ACC a lot of interesting ACC games this weekend, uh, starting out with Carolina at Pitt. Carolina's had a week off to sort of, I, I don't know exactly what they'll be doing <laughs> this week off. Like, it's just, I mean, look, we've talked a lot about North Carolina on this podcast and sort of breaking down where they're at. And um, I think psychologically, it's as big of a factor as anything else. It's worth noting, um, Ross, Mo- Ross Martin of Inside Carolina had tweeted out a screenshot of an Instagram post where one of the, I think it was like a fan post and Cole Anthony commented on it and said, I'll be back soon. Um, I think the earliest in his timetable that he could have been back was, might've been this game, but I, that we show, we've seen no indication of that. And, um, but that does seem to indicate he'll be, he'll be coming back at least at some point, which I think was a little up in the air. Right. I, I, I mean, I think with North Carolina taking the nosedive that it did, you had to at least ask the question of like, will he even come back? But I guess he has a lot more to put on film for NBA scouts and whatnot. And, and, and that's not the only reason I'm not going to, I'm not trying to suggest that. Like, I'm sure he likes playing basketball and likes his team and everything else, but um, yeah, it does seem like he's going to come back. And I mean, who knows, who knows what kind of impact that'll have or not. Yeah. I mean, I think it's even more fair than just like asking the question about if he was going to come back. I think there were genuine concerns. I mean, NBA, NBA people that I had spoken to and, and some of my coworkers at The Athletic who are more connected in those circles than I am, they, they basically expressed to me that NBA evaluators aren't necessarily happy with what they've seen from him on film so far. So, right. you know, when he did play, like, did they win? Yes. Was he efficient? No. Did he always look great? No. I mean, I think we forget that his last two games, especially that Virginia game, the last game he played in, he had what six turnovers and no assists. I mean, shot like three of fourteen from the field. Like that is not nothing about that screams top five pick to me. Um, so I, you know, it, and he was he was playing a little hurt, right? This as far as we can tell. In, but in theory, I mean, half the yeah, I would say almost everyone on this team, if not every single person on this team, is playing hurt. <laughs> it's crazy. And then like, and then Brandon Robinson gets in a freaking car accident after the Clemson game. Like you just, you can't make these things up. It was a drunk driver uh, that ran into him. Thankfully, I, I, it seems like he's okay. I don't, I don't, I guess they haven't released if he'll play or not, but like, are you, like you just can't make these things up. No, Roy said on Monday in his radio show, like B Rob is sore. Who knows if he'll play like that is like, if any other thing could possibly go wrong for this team, him not playing would be it. So um, yeah, I mean, I think Cole coming back, I think he's probably going to come back shortly. Um, you know, 
what the point of it is, I think we all have to be pretty honest with ourselves that it's less about what he's able to do for North Carolina and more about what can I do to make Cole Anthony look better. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he continues sort of playing some hero ball and I wouldn't be surprised if they keep losing, but yeah, go ahead. What were you but I mean, say? what's, well, like what's the alternative, right? Like no one else on that team seemingly besides the bigs want to shoot and Brandon Robinson has stepped up. I'm not, I don't want to, like downplay that and probably Brandon Robinson and healthy Cole Anthony maybe played one game together when you think about it because yeah. he came back he came back in the Bahamas Brandon Robinson did and it, some people are sort of looking at the tape of an awkward fall Cole took in, in the Bahamas that maybe was the root of his knee injury so you know maybe that makes a difference because at least you have another guy out there that not only wants to shoot but can shoot and is an elite scorer uh, that would certainly help them because no one else seems to want to on the perimeter besides like him and Brandon Robinson. No, I mean, and Andrew Playtech. Don't don't sell Andrew Playtech out. <laughs> listen, listen, Andrew Playtech almost like single-handedly, like not single-handedly, Brandon Robinson played great um, against Clemson, but like he, Andrew Playtech was so good in that game. And I was like, wow, they might win this game because of Andrew Playtech. Um we, but he can't be a volume shooter for them either. I mean, that's not. No, you know. no. But Andrew Playtech, when Andrew Playtech's on triple double watch, you know, you've got a problem. Um, but, yeah. But he, you know, Cole, you know, that's the thing. Cole's got to come back. He's got to play hero ball. But it, it, as far as how it changes the trajectory of their season, does it get him into the tournament? I still say probably not. Almost definitely not. I mean, this was the easy part of their schedule, and they've now. Oh, they're not. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't see how. Right. I mean, he. They would have to go on one of the most miraculous second half turnarounds ever, and with the rest of the talent on this team, that's just not going to happen. So, um, but I do think he'll be back. Which, for just general college basketball fans and people like you and I, like that's great because now we get to watch Cole yes. Anthony. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Um, and they go to Pitt. Um, Pitt obviously has already beaten them, although it took a, a second half collapse, which is becoming kind of familiar for Carolina. Um, a late, late game collapse, really, um, to for them to lose that game. Um, Pitt is a puzzling team, to say the least. Um, they have lost to now Wake Forest at home in regulation and then lost at Miami, which I didn't understand. And then they take Louisville to overtime and lose arguably at least, you know, a controversial call down the stretch influencing that. I, I Like who knows which pit team you're going to get. I, I don't think Jeff Cable even knows the answer to that. Um, I guess North Carolina hopes it's the bad version. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, but like th- they – like North Carolina had a chance in that other game, you know, when they played in Chapel Hill, like it wasn't, no, they should have won. Right. Exactly. It wasn't like the Georgia tech game where they were behind the whole time and never got it close. You know, it was, Oh, right. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it was like, they were in the conversation and just couldn't close. Like, you know, I mean, UNC is project per Ken Palm, UNC is projected to lose. They have a 35% chance of winning. In, yeah. In pit. Like that's bad. That is not a good sign. Yeah. So, well, they were up by twelve in this in this uh, second half at one point. Like yeah. this is you know you you, you got it. They they're not closing. Carolina's not. From Pitt's perspective, I mean they're eleven and six. They have NCAA tournament caliber wins on their resume. Um, the Nickel State loss is not good. The Wake and Miami losses are not good, especially Wake because it's at home. So that probably takes it down a quadrant. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, I mean, they've got a nice stretch here with North Carolina at home and Boston College at home that, you know, they could build some goodwill and some momentum before the schedule gets a little tougher. So, like, this is one of those games that Jeff Cable has to say, like, look, we've got to win this game. And 
it, it it's not as tough a place to play as it used to be. Um, but no game has been easy for North Carolina at this point. So no, no. I mean, I I, I mean, Pitt. It, like you said, you're gonna, either going to get the good pit or the bad pit. But like, you know, they've got like you said, they've got wins. They've they, as crazy it is to say, like they're them beating Rutgers is like a good win. <laughs> them beating Florida State is a really good win. So. uh you know, the Louisville one would have been great to have. I mean, that would have been a huge resume booster. I think that would have sort of put them in a different category than they are now. But, um, yeah, North, North Carolina's got a whole lot of problems, and Cole Anthony coming back is not going to solve all of them. Yeah, I mean, look, the thing with the ACC in terms of getting teams in the tournament right now is that not a lot of those fringe tournament teams have opportunities left to get tournament resume wins, especially if they keep losing to teams they shouldn't be losing to. So for Pitt, you know, this becomes something where you got to win these winnable games. And it's weird to say like Pitt needs to like, all right, Pitt, you're <laughs> going to, you know, they're probably not going to be favored, I would imagine. But like they've, they've still got to, they might be. It, Who knows? They, Actually, they, it, they, they really might be. It, yeah. It's it's in Pitt. I, I yeah, they, they might be, yeah. they might be favored. You're right. All right, that gets us to Syracuse at Virginia Tech. That's definitely an interesting one for me. Um, Syracuse is, as always, the team you can't really quite figure out. Um, Had two pretty solid wins back-to-back, but they lost to Virginia Tech at home. Oh, there goes my email. Hello. (laughs) Um, uh, And... You know, lost a classic with Notre Dame where, you know, they shot the ball really well at home. Um, Now they're on the road at Virginia Tech, which is a tough place to play. I mean, we all know this. It's a bad matchup on paper for Syracuse because that's a team that will encourage you to shoot threes. They don't have the length of a normal Syracuse zone, so they don't close out as well on three-point shooters as you've seen Syracuse teams do in the past because it's usually a more aggressive zone because they have so much length on the perimeter and they don't have that. Um so in theory, if Virginia Tech does what it does, which is shoot and make three-pointers, um, that's probably what's going to happen in this game, and Virginia Tech should probably win, right? Right. I mean, in, in theory, that's how it works. Um, you know, in theory, obviously. So many things in theory this year. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you don't know, you don't know anything. Um, nobody does. Um, yeah, I mean, if like Buddy has been playing great, um, I love Buddy Behan. I mean, I'm obsessed with. He's him. balling. He's balling out. Um, you know, I love that quote that uh, Beheim had. He was like, you know, I'm not just playing him because he's my kid. I'm playing him because he's one of the best shooters in the conference and one of the best shooters in the country. He said, "Yes." So, um, which is wild to think that like Buddy Beheim is in that conversation. But you know, anybody can do anything in college basketball this year. You you cannot convince me otherwise. No, it's it's and especially in this league too. And um, special shout out to Boston College last night for uh, missing their first eighteen three pointers. That is, that's more in line with the team that I saw um, in Durham on New Year's Eve, which I was grumpy about, like covering a game on New Year's Eve anyway. And I was grumpier with how terrible Boston College looked oh. in that in that game. I was oh. I was fortunate. My editors were like, "Hey, it's New Year's Eve. We're not really going to be working. If you don't want to work either, it's okay." So, um, <laughs> shout out, Jerk. shout out to the athletic for, for New Year's Eve off. <laughs> First, they put you up at like, where they put you up in Vegas, like the Cosmopolitan. Yes. <laughs> and then they give you New Year's Eve off. Listen, the cause, the Cosmopolitan was athletic breeding grounds in Vegas. We had all of our writers there. So, um, yeah, it was, we had a little, a little crew going on out there. It was wild out there. I mean, that, that, that <laughs> UCLA game was, ugh. anyways. 
I don't, I don't want to talk about UNC anymore. They're, they don't deserve it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sad. They're sad to talk about. I know. Yeah. Um, Florida State, Miami. Um, well, in football, that would be fun. Uh, look, I saw, I saw Miami last night. Um, actually, it wouldn't even be fun in football. Let's be no, honest. No, it wouldn't. Um, I, I, saw, I saw Miami last night um, at NC State. And look, Jim Lair and I said it. They don't have a lot of post-depth. Um, they don't have a lot of depth, period. But they definitely don't have a lot of post-depth. Um, they gotta, they've got like three main guys that can score. And if you can shut those guys down, which State was mostly able to do, then they're not going to beat almost anybody. And it's kind of that simple for them. And Florida state just has so many bodies. Like it's, it's, it's tough to imagine even this on the, on the road. Like it's tough to imagine unless Florida state gets real turnovery. Yeah. This being much of a game. I'll be honest. This to me looks like it could be the biggest mismatch of the weekend. Um, you know, wow. I mean, just in terms of like talent disparity, like Florida state is, no, I think you're right. I mean, yeah. Florida state is really, really good. And they've and not just, do they have a bunch of guys like they always do? I mean, that's like sort of Leonard's like go-to he's always got 15 different guys who can go and they all sort of do the same things. Um, they're so long. They're so physical. And like, I feel like this Florida state team, even more than years past might not have the, the lottery guys that we, you know, sort of fall in love with. They don't have like a, a Jonathan Isaac or a man, or even like going back a few years, like a bacon. Um, but they've, they've just got so many, like the, the, not the sheer number is overwhelming. And like you said, if you shut down Miami's three top scores, you've sort of got them under control. Well, Florida state's, I mean, I'd be shocked if they weren't able to do that. I'd be shocked if they, if their length wasn't a problem in the post. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I see it as being the least competitive of all the ACC slate this weekend. Yeah, now Miami will win. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean it. Yeah, I think you're right, and and I, um, I'm I'm like hesit- I'm a little hesitant to put them in in the same the same trust tree that I have other teams in. But I, although to be fair, like this trust tree has lost all its branches in the ACC, anyways. But um, you know, Virginia makes you play a way that you're not comfortable playing, and Florida State was still able able to find a way to win, and um. You know, winning ugly is still winning, so they'll take it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I I am sort of interested to see when they finally get to play Duke. I mean, I think, you know, Florida State, to me, I still think that they're the second best team in the ACC. You know, I, I do too. I think they're better than Louisville. I think that Louisville's guard play is like that much of a, of a negative that you've got to take away. Obviously, we'll see on Saturday. But, um, yeah, I like Florida State a lot, maybe more than other people do. Yeah, I mean, you got to have point guard play. And I think that's been the biggest issue in this league. And for a team to have a solid presence at point guard with, you know, healthy, healthy Trent Forrest at point guard, like that's, I think, a big difference maker for them. And and like you said, just so many. But I mean, even still, like this isn't your typical like Florida State team, like you were saying with the athletes, but like the shortest player in their rotation is 6'4". Like that's just, you know, like, it's absurd. <laughs> got length for days. Yeah, 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 for sure. So um yeah, I like them a lot as well. Um, I know they're like sort of prone to these like midseason swoons in ACC play, but you know, so far so good. So yeah. Um, all right, Clemson at NC State. Um, the revenge, revenge of the triangle. Maybe there you go. <laughs> Maybe right there you go. NC State, you have the entire uh, honor of of triangle basketball resting upon your shoulders. Um, because Clemson has run, I tweeted the stat out the other night because it blew my mind. But Clemson is zero and three against ACC teams not in the triangle, and three and zero against the triangle currently with the win over Duke the other night. Um, and they are 
what are they? They were like one in three against P5 teams out of conference too. Yeah. So, and I'm not even throwing Yale into that mix, which is actually like a better loss than two of their other losses anyways. So Yeah, I mean, Tim Beret, the the former longtime Clemson SID slash encyclopedia, um, he put out a stat that was like, this is the first time Clemson has beat the, tr- the three triangle schools back to back to back since like 1950 something, maybe 1955. Yeah. It's absurd. Um, but, but NC State didn't look great the last time they played. Um, so I'd be, uh, no, they look terrible. I was super mad at them actually. And like, I actually feel like now that I've seen Clemson the last couple, you know, times out, I'm like, Oh, well maybe, you know, maybe I was a little hard on NC state. I don't think I was because of just the way that the game played out and the way that like you could audibly hear the NC state coaches telling them what Clemson was going to run and state defenders being like, what? Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah. I mean, they, they have like different offensive strengths, which is fun to me. Um, yes. Like it's not going to be like Sims versus DJ all day. It's going to be like Markel's going to do his thing and like Sims is going to do his thing and like maybe a splash of Tevin Mack in there. Um, it's just a little bit, they, they, they score in different ways, which I think is what's going to make it fun. And also who the hell knows what's going to happen. Although I'm super intrigued, like you were saying, like you mentioned, like DJ and Amir Sims, like Amir Sims is just such a great i love amir sims i love his game um you know he's a great passer and and he's such a great passer on like backdoor cuts which they killed all three triangle teams <laughs> with at the various points uh and you know he's he's just such an his all-around game is so good and and his i mean he's able to hold up defensively in the post against guys that are bigger than him um i thought he did a great job um, on both ends against Garrison Brooks, I thought. I mean, obviously they were triple teaming Vernon Carey, basically. You have to, but yeah, but he managed to sort of stay out of foul trouble enough and and do what he needed to do. He's just so good fundamentally on both ends, and I really love watching him play. And I didn't think I'd have a reason to enjoy watching Clemson basketball this year. So Amir Sims, like you're that good that <laughs> he is. <laughs> he he single handedly is making them compelling. I you know yes, it's not just his passing for me. It's like he. He is shooting like he's fifth. He's fifth in the ACC in, th- in like three point percentage. Yeah, he's making f- almost forty eight percent of his threes in ACC play. Like obviously he's on a little bit of a heater, but my God, dude, like keep going, keep it up. Good for you, Amir. <laughs> yeah, I, I love him. And it, you know, last time when they played they, when they played them at Clemson, um, obviously Markel Johnson had a bad game, um, and. You know that that can't happen. DJ Funderburk only took eight shots. That also cannot happen. Um, that seems to be a common denominator with them and their ACC losses is that they got you know they take too many three pointers and um, don't get the ball to their bigs enough and get two turn you know they, well they only had nine turnovers but Markel had six of them and that can't happen. Right. Um, they're a different team at home. I mean they have one home loss this year and it was without both Markel and Funderburk. Um, I, I think I still think CJ Bryce is their best player. Um, I don't disagree. Yeah, I mean, I I just I really love his game and I love the progression he's made from this year to last. So to get him back against Miami, I think was really big for them. And um, I think that'll help them a lot moving forward. And, you know, I think this game will tell us a lot about where they're at. Um, I've I've been cautiously I've cautiously liked them all year and I was super upset with them like a disappointed parent when they lost at Clemson. Um, I actually wasn't as disappointed when they lost at Virginia Tech. I was just more disappointed in the way it played out. Yeah. Um, to take 33s against an undersized team 
um, upset me. Yeah. When you have DJ Funderburk, but yeah, I mean, can um, you imagine Funderburk on Landers Nolly in the post? Like that's yeah. borderline criminal. <laughs> But it'll be interesting to see which way Kevin Keats goes in this game. And he made a lot of interesting comments last night. I don't know if you saw this where um, in the post game, it, it felt like I mean, obviously, it wasn't Twitter, but it felt like a giant subtweet where a lot of people were sort of questioning his coaching acumen because, you know, say, fans get upset. They say whatever. Um, and basically what he was saying is like he was giving his players quizzes. Right. So he was he was. um telling them they needed to remember the stuff and he would give them a quiz and say like, okay, well, we're pretending we're coming out of a timeout and here's the situation, time and score. Like here's the defense we're in or like, here's the defense they're going to be in. Here's the play we're going to run, blah, 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 blah. Right. And he would give them a quiz like later afterwards and be like, all right, how many points were we down? And they were down like 75, 70. And he got like somebody saying 19. And he was like, um, what? <laughs> what? Excuse me, sir. <laughs> right. And they did the same quiz with, um, a scouting report and he was he was saying that he was quizzing um the guys about like okay um it was rodney miller for miami who's you know yeah. basically one of their only post presences presence presences Present. presence 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 oh my god i don't even know the plural of presence that's wild um <laughs> post they're one of their only big guys basically <laughs> And and uh, they, he's like, all right, you know, he'd given them basic details on various guys and how tall is is uh, Rodney Miller? And they were like, and somebody said six four, uh, and he was like, right. And so I think what he's sort of getting at there, very subtly um, or not so subtly, if you you know are looking between the lines, Rodney Miller, by the way, seven feet tall, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, is, is that like he's trying to get this information across to these guys and it's not, he's just trying to get them to focus and to listen. And he, to, to mitigate it a little bit, he did sort of add like, Hey, you know, give this quiz to your coworkers, give it to your spouse, like, you know, see how much they remember. And I was like, unfair. They have young brains. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like, I thought that was interesting because it was like a big, like, Hey, we're, we're, we are coaching these things. Like we are trying. Yeah. I don't, I don't hate it honestly, because it, it sort of reminds me, you know, obviously they're in different situations, but I feel like to, to some extent, Keats and Roy Williams are... Oh, no, we were saying this in post game that they should go have a beer. Oh, my God. Like, well, or whatever Roy drinks uh, <laughs> at 2 a.m. while he's playing craps. Oh, right. Yeah, he doesn't drink. <laughs> um, but like, they are very much going through the exact same thing. It's just, you know, to varying levels, I think, um, where, you know, mistaking Rodney Miller for six foot four is not okay or good. Um, but it is probably better than forgetting an entire defense and running the defense you thought was called the wrong way. Um, it's, it's just, uh, I, I like Keats and I think that I like this team too. You know, I think that I do too. If you had to, let me ask you a question. If you had to place a bet now or make some sort of wager, is NC state making it into the tournament? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, their net ranking is pretty solid. I think they have a lot of good out of conference. And if Clem, certainly if Clemson can keep winning, that will help them out a lot. Um, it was solid Virginia last year, though. Yeah. It, it, well, their net ranking was, but their out of conference was horrible. And their out of conference is so much better this year. They did a much better job of identifying um, and getting a little lucky because, look, you have to have bad luck to have your strength of schedule be like last 
I mean, you do. Yeah, you have yeah. to have some bad luck. But they also did a much. But they also picked some teams that were like had new head coaches and, um, you know, were picked to finish towards the bottom of already bad leagues. And that's not the case this year. Um, they did get a little lucky because App has a new head coach, but like App is, App has been really solid, and that's been a, a win that or a win that's helped them. And it, and that's the type of team you have to play. Like, it, and I know I've had to convince state fans of this. Playing a team in like the mid hundreds is a big difference from playing a team in the 300s because you can roll the ball out against a team in the 300s. Even North Carolina right now, as bad as they look, could do that in the 300s and beat them handily. Right. Like you just could. Like that's the difference. Whereas a team in the hundreds, you're going to sweat that out. You know, I mean, you're you're you have to work to beat teams like that. I think it it's it's good not only from an NCAA tournament perspective, in terms of like making the field. And I think it's an adjustment Keats had to make one of many, like coming from CAA and the way they scheduled there versus, you know, the way he has to schedule here. But it's also just good for your team. Like it's it's better to make your team work to have to beat a team. Like they did have to work to beat App. I mean, they lost CJ Bryce right before tip. You know, they're playing a team with a good pack line, you know, tree defense, mm-hmm. pack line defense. And um, they had to work to win that game and be tough. And they and they did. Whereas if they played somebody terrible, they wouldn't have had to. And I think it's been better for them in the long run. And it's, you know, they're tougher at home, obviously, but they, you know, nothing's necessarily come easily. They've had to make plays and be tough to win some of these games at home. And they've, and they've been able to do that. Yeah. And so I, I like them. I do like them. I think one of the biggest differences that, that is sometimes hard to understand for people. And, and even for me, sometimes, you know, I, for, I don't fully appreciate it, but just because you're going from, playing teams in the 300s to playing teams in the mid or late 100s, that doesn't mean that like you have the best non-conference schedule. But you don't have to. Like It just has to be better than last. And that is largely what they've done. You know, they've made it. It's it's not like they're playing the toughest non-conference. They're not playing, for example, like Carolina's non-conference schedule. But they're playing enough better teams that you can look and say, hey, listen, we didn't take the month of December off, basically, you know, we were playing legit competitive games and, um, you know, that might not get enough credit. I feel like I feel at the end of December, like their strength of schedule, I think was like in the sixties so that they're non-con, right. which is like, that's exactly, yes. It's exactly and that's, where that's it needs a to be. Great. It's a great improvement. It might take some dings along the way, but it's not going to get to last, right, you know. Right. And that, I know what I know. State fans' frustration and and Debbie Yow's and whoever else is about like, hey, you're supposed to go by net ratings, but if you make it close at all, which they did last year, like they're gonna look at that last place non conference strength of schedule, know that you're a power five team that does not have a problem scheduling these types of games as maybe other schools do, and be like, no, we're not doing this, and they're not going to have that issue this year. So if they can take care of business. I think that they'll be okay. Of course, in typical state fan fashion, they already are 100% sure that North Carolina will bring Cole Anthony back for that game and that they will lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, very well, very well possible. I, I just keep, th- every time I think about NC State in the tournament, I just flash back to the Memphis game. I just flash back. Yeah. Because I think about, you know, that would be, you know, not that would be a big feather. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, even without Wiseman, it's still just such a, I, and not that Memphis is going to be the world beaters that we probably expected them to be before the season, but that would have right. that would have been sort of like the cherry on top of their non-con. But it is what it is. Yeah, even even Auburn because um, yeah. they had chances there um, as well. So, but Wisconsin has has been great for them. I mean UNCG again. I'm I'm just looking at their schedule. Like UNCG, that's another um, really good non-con. You know, win to have in your cap or whatever. Yeah. And, 
yeah, I mean, it's all th- those are all good things. These are all these are all positive signs for NC State, and you see players getting better too, which I think is also a hallmark of coaching. Like I think CJ Bryce is um, such a sm- smart player and always makes the right play, and um, I think he's made a lot of progress. I think Devin Daniel, you know, Keats talked about guys understanding their roles, and I think you see more of that this year. You know, you don't see Devin Daniels jacking up a million shots a game. You see him attacking the basket more and, um, you know, getting the ball to other guys and defending the other team's best player. And, and that's what his role is. And and I think that's really, you know, I, I think they're I think they're getting it. Of course, now that I say that, they'll lose. Right. So, they'll lose sorry, like three sorry. in a row. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they confound me. Yeah. Um, I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But I do, I do like where they're headed. Um, I kind of want to leave. I think I'm going to leave Louisville Duke for the end because okay. I, I, because like the next two games are, um, yeah, underwhelming. Yeah. Virginia Georgia Tech. Um, I know f- friend of the pod Caroline Darney is already dreading this because she <laughs> she sees what we see too with Georgia Tech, which is like that's a team that's plenty capable, right? Oh, like hundred you know, percent. You just saw them up hand or up close, right? Like when when Duke went up. There. I would argue, you know, I would argue that they should have beaten Duke in that game. I mean, they had every opportunity, and if not for Vernon Carey just turning into a mountain and getting an offensive rebound and putback, um, you know, that's a that's a one possession game down to the final seconds, and at home that crowd uh, in McCamish was was rocking. So I don't think it was unreasonable to say that they should have beaten Duke at all. Um, obviously turns out to be a good win for Duke, but with, with Alvarado back, they're just a different team. Um, and a really fun team to watch. I mean, I have really enjoyed, I enjoyed both games that I got to see Georgia Tech play in person this year. Yeah. And I mean, I know they, they won at NC state without, um, when NC state didn't have Funderburk or Markel Johnson, but I remember, yeah, I, I, I think I just said this in the last pod, but whatever. I looked at their like Ken Palm experience level and they were one of the most experienced teams in the nation. And obviously they weren't great last year, but I was still like, you know, in college basketball that matters and to have good point guard play matters. And they have that. Um, obviously, they're not the best offensive team. Uh-huh, we know that. <laughs> uh, but they have their moments, right? I mean, they're they're capable. They have guys that can score. Um, and that has not been the case in recent years oh, at all. Uh, so that'll be interesting because, look, Virginia, for all its offensive problems, and we know they have plenty of them, um, they're still defending, which I think is a real credit to Tony Bennett. Like for this team to be a sort of you could argue they could be as down on themselves as North Carolina is right now in terms of they can't make three pointers. Um, you know, they don't have the playmakers on offense, obviously, that they had last year, but they're still just defending 
so well and their defense is what's keeping them in games. I mean, for them to, to hold Florida State, um, to keep them in check most of the game, you know, offensively is is a- absolutely worth noting. And, and they've done that, you know, th- that's what's keeping them in games. Like when they can make shots, we saw it against North Carolina, we saw it against Virginia Tech. As long as they defend at a high level, like that's going to give them a chance to win. Right. I, you know, and if not for Buddy Beheim going sort of nuclear in overtime, I mean, they, they pretty much held Syracuse in check too. Um, at least they had more points in overtime than they did in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, Virginia, I, I feel like for Virginia fans, this is not nearly as frustrating a season as it could have been, you know, knowing who they were losing. Oh, don't tell them that. Yeah, I know, I know. But no, but knowing who they were losing. I think it would have been fair to expect just an overall drop off and not just on one side of the ball. The fact that they're still able to do this with, with the offensive limitations that they have, um, you know, is, is really sort of pleasantly surprising to me. I know again, on the heels of three, three straight losses, that's not encouraging. Um, but they're a team that's still going to be in the, they're still going to be there come March. They're still going to be there when we're in Greensboro, they're going to be playing, you know, I still think they have a shot to get one of the, um, one of the four double buys in Greensboro for the AC tournament, um, you know, and also they are, they're going to come up on a stretch where uh, it's not like they're playing the best offensive teams in the league. I mean, they've got a four game stretch in February where they've got Notre Dame, North Carolina, Boston college pit, you know, all, yeah. all four of those to me are winnable games for them. Um, so I, I am still a little bit shocked that, uh, Mamadi Diakete is like the number one offensive option for them. Um, if you're not counting Braxton Key, I guess, but th- it's and Key's been like hurt off and on, and right that yeah yeah. So I mean, Diakite's been sort of the guy, and I don't think anybody ever expected him to be the guy, and he's done a better job than I would have guessed. <laughs> um, it, it was, I mean, he was like the fifth option last year, maybe. I, you're being generous. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, other th- I mean, could you tell me one like positive thing he did offensively other than against Purdue with the shot? I mean, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't. No, not really. I, I mean, he's just, he's just never been that, that, that guy. And so for them to have him leading the charge offensively and to still be not just, you know, in tournament conversation, but in a position to have a favorable path into the beginning of March and maybe into the tournament. Um, I've, I've still been impressed overall with their body of work. Yeah. And the thing is about Virginia is that this is not a one and done program. This is a team that has to develop guys over time. And with guys leaving early, it's, it's a good thing for them long-term because it means you likely won a championship, which they did. Um, But when you don't have, you know, I think they all knew DeAndre Hunter was going to leave. Like that was not, you know, Caroline talked about this uh, with me on the podcast, but like they all knew that that was going to happen. The issue was, you know, uh, Kyle and Ty ending up leaving Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. And and that leaves them without a lot, you know, in in the backcourt and having to rely on extremely unproven guys. And Kihei Clark, I'm still a believer. I really like Kihei. Wow. But he's, he's passing to guys that are not NBA players, which the guys that he was passing to last year are um, that matters. And um, I think that, yeah, I like, he, I just like Kihei. I mean, he, I know he turns it over a lot, but like they, uh, you know, I mean, he, again, he, he's, his assists are still pretty good, especially considering like the guys, a lot of the guys he's passing to can't make shots and um, he's being asked to do more than he should be having to ask 
you know, to be asked to do at this point. That's so. that's my biggest thing. I mean, he's he's playing over ninety percent of their minutes, and you know, he's. I mean, he's for for what he's being asked to do. I think he. I agree with you. He's doing a great job. I'm not as high on him as you are, um, but you know, he is somebody who again shouldn't be in this position probably, and is doing a better than expected job of of handling it. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned the Purdue game, right? And like that that pass was just. I mean, that was one of my favorite passes that I can remember, like in college basketball. It was just such a heads up play, such a great pass. Like it's, you know, I mean, it's amazing. Like I, I, I still marvel at it when I see it. I, I, I'm kind of a dork for passing, um, especially like watching teams like North Carolina that have so much trouble with it. Um, but like, you know, I, I just, I think he, he does have that ability. And I think next year, you know, we'll see him play better with a bunch of these guys that have had that year to develop and, and take that leap and um, get better and then adding some more pieces for them. So it's it, like you said, it's a blip. It's one year. It's whatever. Exactly. Um, and they're still and they're and they're still, you know, yeah, and they're still in the conversation, right. whereas like North Carolina is not is not. Right. And part of that part of that's because Virginia defends at a really high level and North Carolina does not. And, you know, defense will keep you in games even when you can't score. And um that's not the worst thing to build your program around. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, yeah. it, it, look, I, I, I am a unapologetic honk of Virginia's system. Um, especially when they have the talent to run it. Um, because I think when you watch them run it, you understand how it's all supposed to be like this symbiotic thing between offense and defense and wearing opponents down. And um, when you ha- when they have guys that move so well without the ball, like Kyle Guy coming off screens or Malcolm Brogdon just having such great awareness of where to be on the court and um, spacing and everything like that, I think it's really fun to watch. And when you when they have really good screeners as well, because you know they don't call it blocker mover for nothing. Yeah. But when they don't have guys that can make plays offensively. Like yeah, it's not as fun to watch. But guess what? Like when teams can't score offensively, it's not fun to watch anyway. So right, I think uh, <laughs> I think I think they are also one. Just one last thing on them. I think they yeah. are definitely beneficiaries of the 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 problems of scoring throughout college basketball this year. Like, yeah, for sure. Like like the fact that there are just fewer skilled and competent offensive teams overall definitely helps their argument, and I think helps their you know case when it comes down to advancing through March. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we will not talk about this Sunday game for very long. Okay. For, I hope, obvious reasons. Yes. Before we get to Duke Louisville on Saturday, six o'clock, college game day, all that good stuff. Boston College at Wake. Oh, boy. Gross. <sighs> that is, uh, oh, my God. The, how depressing is that going to be? Well, oh you know, there's a reason we have so many other games this week. You know, you know, there, you know, Jim, Jim Christian is, is probably not going to watch his own tape. He's going to go watch Duke Louisville, too. Um, it's yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, what what is there to say? Neither of these teams is very good. Um, I'll say that Wake has been better than I thought they were going to be. I sort of expected them to be left for dead with the way last season played out. Um, yeah, and you know, Brandon Childress, um, Sar, they, those guys, they just come to play every single day. Um, you know, can you imagine this team without Brandon Childress? Like, no, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, <laughs> just straight or up. even no. Sar, who I think flirted with leaving. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but. they're not, they're by no means, neither of these teams is good, but Wake Forest, at least for me, trying to find the silver lining. Um, they have more talent. No question. Than I, Boston college does. I thought that they were going to be a 
dumpster fire this year because of last season. And uh, I've been surprised that they weren't. Well, the dumpster fire case is somewhat... I know what you're saying, and you're not wrong, but like uh, Connor O'Neill, previous podcast guest, uh, covers Wake. He tweeted this out um, yesterday because uh, they got blown out by Virginia Tech, basically. Um, attendance last night was 4,873. In seven home games, the largest crowd was 6,118 for NC State, and that brought the Joel to 41.7% full. That's not good. Woof. Woof. I mean, it was, yeah. it was that way last year, too. I mean, yeah. what did you expect? Danny Manning to, to <laughs> just totally turn into another person? I mean... Um, I, well, the buyout the buyout goes down considerably, I think, after this year. Exactly. So. I mean, it was just a waiting game. The thing that I think is sad about the Wake situation is I'm not so sure that Wes Miller is going to be able to go there anymore. Really? I mean, why? I, I just really, I think last year it was like almost too good to be true in terms of like a foregone conclusion that this was definitely going to happen. And mm-hmm. UNCG overall, I think, has taken a little bit of a step back. But he has been... Um, I think not, not that his star has been like tarnished in any way. Like I think he's still seen as like a very promising up and coming young coach. And I could very easily end up uh, looking like an idiot in like two months when he ends up going there. But, and, and I probably will. And please feel free to uh, cut this soundbite out and play it back when that happens inevitably now. Uh, Old takes exposed. Yes. Um, I, I just feel like he's not seen quite as, promisingly as he was is promisingly a word i don't see i don't think he's held in the same light that he was last year if that makes sense yeah i think you might be right um i do think um he has a family connection there as as if people didn't know that he does i mean his dad he grew up around that program his dad was a big booster um so we'll see um like you said it would have made more sense last year maybe but uh, I I am with you. I, I think he's a. I think he's really promising, and and I like where his future is headed, regardless of if he ends up at Wake or not. And the thing about West too that's worth remembering is that like nobody understands that job, its positives and negatives, like West does. Right. Um. So, you know, I could I could also see him maybe saying, I don't know if this is the opportunity for me. Like maybe I make an upwards move, but maybe not there. Um. So that'll be interesting to watch too if they do decide to go. In a different direction. And like you said, who knows? They have talent. They have capability. I'm just not getting anywhere near that basketball game no, on Sunday. No, I will uh, I will not uh, watch the replay. I will not look up stats. I will... Uh, I might look up stats, but just for like I, morbid curiosity. I, that is your masochist. Uh, I, well, yes. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Given. <laughs> yes, I really am. Um, I mean, I am a Panthers fan, so I sat through I sat through almost every game, even down the stretch until I was like, I need to start taking care of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I did. I I did almost like not. I didn't enjoy it because I like Kyle Allen. But like I did start to like enjoy um, having to see people that were like Kyle Allen is the future. Be like, oops. Yeah. Um, Having people watching people realize how wrong they were was the real joy in watching the end of that Panthers season. Yes. Yes, it was. Um. All right, now we get to the big one, college game day coming. Although I think like, and I don't want to rain on the parade, but, and I, and it sounds like you might agree with me based on what you said about Louisville earlier, that this may not be quite the intriguing game that it seems like it would be on paper when Louisville comes to Duke. Um, because like you said, I mean, I think Louisville has a lot of really, really nice pieces, like some of the best pieces in the league, honestly. Right. 
but they don't have point guard play. And against a team like Duke that certainly does have point guard play, that could matter. Yeah, I mean Trey Jones is going to feast. I mean Trey Jones is I mean Trey Jones is going to be able to do basically. I mean I, I, I mean obviously things could shake out differently, but at least on paper the the disparity there in terms of point guard play is greater than it is at any other position to me. Um and, yes. And and given how dominant Trey is in what Duke does on both sides of the court, you know, I'm not so sure that Louisville even I, I agree with you that they have a lot of nice pieces. Obviously, uh, Noara is, you know, he sort of speaks for himself. But I'm, I'm afraid that because Trey Jones is so controlling and he's going to be such a problem uh, for their guard play on the defensive side of the court, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to get into the sets and the looks that they like. So, um, like you said, yeah, I mean, sort of preluded to this a little while ago. But when you hear, you know, Duke Louisville, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be this great matchup. It might not be as terrific as we would have once expected. Uh, The one interesting thing I think, you know, worth keeping an eye on, certainly, is, um, you know, if Vernon Carey gets into foul trouble in any sort of way, that I think that changes a lot about what Duke wants to do. And they will really need, especially without Wendell Moore and without potentially Joey Baker, they have fewer guys to sort of put in and see like, hey, are you having a good night, Alex O'Connell? Are you going to have a good night, Matthew Hurt? Like they have, that gives them fewer guys in that sense to sort of put in and say, if somebody's having a rough night or if a couple guys are having a rough night to say like, okay, we let's put this guy in and see what he can do. But if Vernon Baker gets into foul trouble, that could be problematic for Duke if he's limited in any way, I think, because um, Louisville certainly has, I think, the, the bigs that can hurt Duke um, if if Carey can't, you know, if Carey's limited in any way. So I think that that's something that I think could make this game maybe more interesting than we think it'll be. Totally agree. I would even, I, you know, I would take that even further. And I would say, you know, Carey is, he's the guy for any game for Duke going forward, um, you know, especially as they play the Louisvilles and the Florida States of the world, is Vernon Carey is the key. I mean, for as much as Trey Jones does, Vernon Carey is sort of like their safety net. Um, you know, if shots aren't falling, if, if Matthew Hurt's having an off night, if uh, Joey Baker and Wendell Moore are out and they, they, you know, the perimeter shots aren't falling, Trey Jones can't get penetration. You know, they've always got him to dump down to. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that there is a single player in the country who can really take him and, and you know, square up with him one-on-one. Um you know, between him and Isaiah Stewart at Washington and Azubuke in Kansas, I mean, those are the three sort of tanks that I look at in college basketball. And and it, the way Clemson defended, uh, you know, I can see other teams sort of copying that model going forward. Is Clemson just said, listen, we are not going to let Vernon Carey beat us. We're going to throw someone on him in the front, and we're going to have someone attack from the baseline, and we're going to have a third person come up and trap. And yeah. And Vernon's a good. They'll, they'll let Duke try to shoot threes to beat you, even though they have better shooters. They're still okay. Fine. You right. want to beat us that way? Cool. Right. Exactly. And I think what they saw against Clemson and what every team who plays Duke going forward is going to have to consider is without Wendell Moore and Joey Baker, does Duke have the perimeter horses to make you pay? Because Vernon Carey is going to get him to pass. I mean, he's you know I think he's an underrated passer for a big man, and it's just a question of are Trey Jones, Matt Hurt. Alex O'Connell, are those guys going to be able to consistently knock down threes against Clemson? They weren't. If they can against Louisville, then maybe, you know, a pattern emerges. 
I think the biggest surprise to me for Louisville this year is actually Stephen Enoch, who I thought would have a really big year. And that just hasn't. I mean, he's had some nice games, but that really hasn't been the case. And I do still think he's capable of doing damage and, and you know, doing damage on the inside and, and being a little bit of a stretch, stretch big man for them. But I mean, you know, it just hasn't really materialized as of right now in terms of like him becoming like a steady game in, game out, you know, presence for them. No, uh, down low, not so. a, not at all. And in addition, he in addition to him not sort of developing, I think you know I agree with you. He hasn't developed the way I thought he would have. Um, he's still taking up so many of their possessions. You know, he's still yeah. I'm looking at Ken Palm right now. He's still second on the team in terms of percentage of shots taken after Nomura, and it's not close. I mean, he's got a five point cushion over David Johnson's the next closest guy. So. For him to be warranting that share of the looks, there's got to be more production coming out of it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, but yeah, it, it, I guess the one thing that intrigues me a little bit is like who's on Jordan Wara, like who guards him because it's not Trey. No, it can't be. It would have been, I think, Wendell Moore. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I he's much bigger than him, but I think Cassius Stanley's going to get a turn. Yep. I mean, you can't put you can't put her down him. No. <laughs> or Alex O'Connell. Oh God. No. So I mean, I think it's sort of. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jordan Goldwire take a lot of those minutes. I mean, yeah. I think I, I think Goldwire and Stanley are the two. He and Sutton can certainly hurt Duke matchup wise for sure because like those are capable guys that can score, and Duke doesn't have a lot of you know, enough probably really good defenders, like you were saying, to to lock those guys down. But again, it all comes down to point guard play. And if, you know, if if Louisville can't even get into their offense and is turning it over a bunch, it's going to kind of be irrelevant. So, yeah. Um, yeah, well, uh, so that was your sort of takeaway from the Clemson game is like they just took away Vernon and that's that. And I mean, you know, Duke didn't play well. I mean, Duke played poorly. They had a ton of turnovers. Uh, you know, I was surprised at the way they played defensively. Yeah, and, and this is you know something that I was looking into the other day and and uh, had talked to a couple of colleagues about is against Stephen F. Austin and against Clemson, the two losses this year. They've gotten buried in the post, but not necessarily as or back door. Exactly. That's the thing. It's not necessarily the fact like the points in the paint have been overwhelming, but it's not like Vernon Carey's getting destroyed in the paint. You know, it's it's they're finding other ways to score and penetrate to the interior. So, well, well, Duke overplays so much and they've always done that. They've overplayed so much on the wings that, you know, if you can get somebody going back door and you can execute that pass like you can make that work for you. But you have to be able to do it. And they pressure the ball so well that it's not always so easy. But, you know, Clemson was able to find a way and Stephen F. Austin, too. And, you know, you, you, that's a that's a play that is there um, against Duke. But again, you have to be able to have, like have someone that can make that pass and, and make that play. Right. And does Louisville have that? I'm not so sure, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, Carey is not the rim protector. He, he's not nearly yeah, the player no. that he is on the defensive end as he is on the offensive end. Um, so if you well, and they don't need him to be that, because if he were, then he'd be in foul trouble. All the time. Constantly. Right, exactly. So um, I, I think, you know, a, a, a mini solution, if you could do, is that Deloria is going to have to play more minutes. You know, Javin is going to have to come in and be more of a defensive stopper, especially when they're getting exploited like that on backdoors and dribble drive penetrations and, and, and all those sorts of situations. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, yeah, so I mean, no huge takeaway. It is what it is. This is a weird year. Um, even Duke, the the biggest takeaway for me is like even Duke is vulnerable. Um, to uh, whatever you want to call the mess of the ACC this year. Yeah, so. I mean nobody's nobody, nobody's invincible. <laughs> no I, one is safe. Seriously, John Rothstein has jokingly tweeted about it, and I would never reference him uh, if it <laughs> and if it wasn't for a, a bigger purpose. But when he says that when you're filling out your brackets this year, you should you know probably treat them with kerosene. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. That's, yes. That's and, yeah. Frankly, I usually do that anyways because like, <laughs> and this is this is going to sound like the most humble brag of all time, and I don't. I'm sorry in advance, but like, but like I, I feel like the, sometimes I feel like the more you do know, the worse you do in these. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's because certainly like, true this year. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you know so much about these teams that I think you see their, their positives and negatives and like you see their potential vulnerabilities and, um, and their, you know, the way they could match up well or poorly or whatever. And, you know, you, you try to make too much sense out of a tournament that doesn't always make sense. And, and, yeah, I, I feel like the the more in, involved in college basketball I've become, the worse I've always done on those. So I don't even bother anymore. Yeah, it's 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 not going to. I mean, this is the, if, if there was ever a year where you could get, you know, like four, six seeds in the final four, this would be the year. And who knows? I mean, if you would. One of them could yeah. be Clemson. <laughs> I mean, if you told me last year that UCF would like almost beat Duke, I would, you know, before that game, I would have laughed at you. So, right. And or even Virginia Tech for that matter. Like I thought Duke would cruise in both of those games, and that's not what happened. And um, I actually thought they'd beat Michigan State, and because that's what they always do, and that's not what happened. But yeah. So there you go. You just never really know. All right, Brendan. Well, tell everybody where they can find you. Yes, uh, on Twitter at Brendan R Marks, um, and then over at the Athletic. If you guys don't already subscribe, please consider. We've got uh, people covering the entire ACC. If you're into that sort of thing, um, come play and have fun with us over at theAthletic.com. All right. Awesome. All right, Brendan, thanks so much. We're definitely going to have you back and I will see y'all next week.